0: Welcome to this special bonus edition of Fantastic Voyage, the David Bowie podcast. I'm Jesse. I'm John. And we just got back moments ago, literally about 10 minutes ago, from watching the Brett Morgan picture, uh, Moon Age Daydream, at our local IMAX theater. Um, We're going to do a little kind of reaction episode because... Why not? It was, yeah. It's exciting. You know, the, the Bowie world is, is buzzing about this. Uh, I refrained from looking online ahead of time. I think you mentioned you did, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't want to have any, well, not spoilers, because you can't really spoil th- something like this, but you, you, do, any... you don't want preconceived notions.
1: Yeah, because you can get your opinion swayed when you've read something before you've seen it. Right. And then you kind of start looking for things. So yeah, we we went in maybe not necessarily totally blind. I think I had a decent idea of what the movie was going to be like, but uh for all intents and purposes, I had no I didn't see any real reviews. I saw maybe a ha- like a couple of tweets, but we went in more or less blind, and I'm, I'm glad we did. Yeah. And these are our initial thoughts.
0: Yeah, we we also refrained from speaking on our way home because we didn't want to. <laughs> we wanted to save it for our for this episode. We, uh, we
1: refrained from speaking about the movie. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> just sit sit in silence. Um, you know, we talk about this every time. Our best stuff happens before we turn the cam the camera the microphone on. Yeah like the bet that's the best conversation and then we start our episodes and it's all you know medium (laughs) at least we think so (laughs) and then afterwards we always have these great conversations about that like we should just let the camera
1: she just have a microphone microphone on us at all times and then put those out might be a little intrusive to our privacy but oh well
0: (laughs) yeah so um we haven't even said this much yet. I liked it. Did you like it? Yeah, <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I, okay. it. I
1: loved it actually. <laughs> yeah,
0: it was uh it was a an awesome journey, I thought. It it didn't it, it wasn't what as what I was expecting. I and I should have maybe known this uh, having seen some of Morgan's work in the past. I've seen the the Kurt Cobain one, The Montage of Heck or From Heck or of Heck. Montage of, of, heck. Heck. of heck. Yeah. And it was done kind of similarly to that in the fact that, it, or in the respect that it was just kind of like a lot of videos spliced together. Like like a literal montage with some really cool artwork uh, kind of segueing and overlapping and be very intertwined with the telling of, you know, the, the story. Um, although it wasn't really much of a telling of a story. It was just a lot of Bowie content. It was just Bowie. Bowie ran the show more or less.
1: Yeah, and you don't like it's not like a documentary where there's like interviews being given, right? And there's people explaining things. It's really just the only person that ever really talks is David Bowie and it's just yeah. like little interview clips of him from over the years. And it, I think that's really interesting because it's it's Bowie talking about life a lot of the time, right? And he has such a good grasp on life and he has good thoughts and he's a good philosopher in that regard when he's talking totally. about life and it comes out in his music. So I think this is a, a movie that I think at times you would need to maybe know a lot about David Bowie before you can kind of come into this movie and, and enjoy it. But I do think that at the same time, this wouldn't be a horrible movie for somebody who hasn't really gotten into Bowie to watch either. I think that it's, it's a good little slice of who he is. You get to know who he is and they represent him over the years very well like they take yeah you know the like when they get to the i mean it starts off where i mean it starts off at Ziggy pretty much it starts off at the the Hammersmith Odeon concert and
0: wild Eyed boy from free cloud is the first song that well they there's a they did Hello space boy too but then that was the one they chose which i thought was great i love that song
1: and what i thought was great about that moment too is that they So they're showing the Hammersmith Odeon concert footage, but then they also show, like, a clip of him from 1983 while he's singing Wild Eye Boy from Free Free Claw, but they're showing him, that would be, like, what, 10 years later. And I thought that, like, my biggest takeaway from this movie was there was a lot of that throughout the movie, where there was, uh... They'd be showing clips of him from a later period or from a prior period, but it shows you how his... His work is all connected. It is, yeah. Uh, it doesn't really matter the era he is. And so much is said about David Bowie as chameleon. He changed so much. He was changing, 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 changing. But I think that's maybe oversold a bit. Because while he did change, he was more or less just changing images, changing costumes. He was hopping from genre to genre. But he's kind of talking about a lot of those same themes and topics throughout his entire career and so you can kind of see i think this movie paints a great picture of that Uh, over and above all that was my biggest and most important takeaway and it's probably my favorite takeaway and favorite part of the movie yeah i think that was definitely
0: intentional and you know to quote bowie from one of the quotes that we got because they do show a lot of uh um there was a lot of interviews in it taken from Uh, stuff that we've seen before, but it was just spliced together in a way. uh, And there was some stuff we hadn't seen before, which was cool. But of the stuff that it's like, oh, I I love this interview of Bowie. And he showed it in a way that followed that narrative. The way that he said, and to quote where I was going with this originally, was he says, I'm a collector of personalities. And that's a good way to kind of look at Bowie's work is, yeah, he wasn't changing. And even though he says that once I do something, I put the microphone down and I'm off to the next thing and I forget about it. He doesn't really truly forget about it. He just adds more to his palette.
1: Yeah, he... He, he doesn't
0: he, take away. He doesn't erase and then go. He, he just keeps adding. Well, he keeps collecting.
1: He gets rid of Mick Ronson and the Spiders from Mars. And then he replaces them with soul musicians. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's forgetting what he just... Right. The, the, the themes are all intact and he kind of has his own little universe and everything is connected... Another brilliant moment in that film was when he, it was the Glass Spider uh, segment and it's, it's him during a, just showing concert footage of the Glass Spider tour and it's kind of showing that this is a down point in his life. He's kind of flaming out maybe a little bit artistically and they're playing rock and roll suicide, Yeah, which was another kind of one of those brilliant moments where here's, you know, a concept from 1972 that fit perfectly into something 15 years later. And sure, the music sounded totally different, but it's really a similar concept, and it's so, it's always relevant. All the concepts he's talking about are, are always relevant, and they're always in his music from, from the 70s to the 80s to the 90s. To the, to, like it, it, A lot of these same concepts, and actually, at the end of the film, this is actually maybe my favorite part of the film. I'm going to say this all throughout this episode. My favorite <laughs> yeah. part of the film, because fa- there's so many great parts, right? But uh one connection that I thought was brilliant was the Silly Boy Blue and Blackstar connection. Yeah. Because Blackstar has got that kind of creepy, ominous bridge or whatever part of the song it is where he's going... Ooh, and then they play Silly Boy Blue right after that. They're like kind of an acapella segment from the end of that song where he yeah. goes... Ooh,
0: so well mixed together that was perfect and it, yeah. it, I think
1: it, it illustrated at least my interpretation of that was that it illustrated the point that everything kind of came full circle, circle. Yeah, yeah it's very circular and that's very much uh, part of the, the whole Buddhist concept that, that David was into throughout his throughout his career well and
0: maybe not even full circle but maybe like full circle again because I think he came full circle several times maybe and I you know Um, they showed the footage of, it was like him going down an escalator, Bowie going down an escalator. They showed that twice. They showed it twice. And the second time it happened at the beginning of what's considered a rebirth in his creative career in the beginning of the nineties segment. And they showed it at the original, the the first time they showed it was the kind of the beginning of his career. And it, it signified the start of something new, the start, the ending of something and, you know, rock and roll suicide ended Ziggy and started something else. Cause it didn't like, you could have shown, they could have shown that footage so many times, you know? Well,
1: it's such a great piece of cinematography too, because he's going down the escalator and there's another escalator, you know, how escalators work, right? There's one that goes up, one that goes down and you can kind of get like this overhead shot of the other escalator going up. Right. So that's kind of signifying that whole idea of moving on. Right. And then going down a, a different path the cinematography was pretty brilliant throughout the entire film too. Incredible I, I, and just incredible. The, yeah, something that I thought was amazing was when they're around the nineteen seventy four period, kind of where David was entering that dark spot in his life, yeah. where, the, where the drugs and that start to really take over. There, they there's just this wall of just horrible sounds you can hear future legend in the background you can hear other sounds you can hear a Bowie interview in the background and he's talking about you know right-wing politics and all this shit and it's just like just this visual and audio representation of just pure chaos and it just explodes onto the screen and I think they did a Morgan did a great job of kind of illustrating different points of Bowie's life through visuals and through through audio it's just a great it, it, and this is the, the film in a nutshell to me. It's just a great presentation of David Bowie, the person, David Bowie, the artist. And yeah, it, it's just, it's, those parts are phenomenal. Like the audio and visual choices. That, that might be the highlight if I had to pick one for, for, for me, which is actually kind
0: of crazy because usually when you go to see something Bowie, Bowie is the first thing you think of. But the visuals that weren't Bowie were like... It, it was seamless. It, I wasn't going, like, okay, enough of this. Like, Let's get to the Bowie stuff. I kind of wanted more. Like, if if anything, I would have liked even more of that. It was very Lynchian, the way that the dreamscapes and the way that things flowed and you were out in outer space and things would go to black and white and then you'd get bursts of color. Uh, a lot of German expressionist-type set pieces. I don't even mm-hmm. know what, like where this art, some of this art came from, it, it, but it was just... It, you felt uh, you you felt like you were in that place with him when you were seeing that the, the same way that David Lynch uh, does that in, in in his films and, and television. I, I really liked the the mag it starts on the moon and there's a lot of you know, there's planets and you could see the, the moon and I don't know what else there was. There's a lot of stuff kind of going on. but I loved how that to me that was kind of symbolizing the magnitude of what Bowie was doing. It was just, Especially, you know, seeing it in an IMAX and it was just, everything started off as like, okay, this is larger than life. This is larger than the world. This is, this is space shit. And, and like, that's, that's taken on such a metaphor for Bowie's stuff, but in, for the wrong reasons. Like, he's a guy that sings about the spaceman. It's like, no, there's, there's something out of this world with Bowie. And I think that that was just the perfect way to start it and to also keep it going throughout.
1: And he mentions that a lot throughout the film, how he's tapping into a force. You know, the interviewers are asking him, do you believe in God? And he goes, no, I believe in an energy, uh, an form. energy form. And I found something really fascinating when he, he talks about how him and Lennon and Jagger and Dylan and, and all these people they they're they don't really exist right no, but, yeah. but th- they exist in our minds the way we want them to and, and I feel like that was something that he really cared about was us right because we only really exist he only exists- well, he said they're figments yes yeah and that is perfect that's absolutely that, that was oh, that's so
0: true it, it, how many times have we referenced Lennon's God in, in this, but that's what he's talking about. He's going, "I don't believe in uh, in Elvis because Elvis doesn't exist Elvis one well, and,
1: and and the idea of Elvis is, doesn't exist without us. Like I think this right. this movie does another a great job of illustrating how we are David Bowie's muse at the end of the day. We are what allows him to be what he is. I mean, he yeah. he's without any you know he's he's nothing without us and our interpretations of him. And yeah, they they are really just fig- they are figments of our mind. Yeah, everybody, you know, everybody that you know is literally you know, it, they can only exist within you know you. It, right? Yeah, it, totally.
0: Some cool little nuggets that are Easter eggs. Uh, <laughs> well, it's not an Easter egg because it's not us. But the the, the uh, there was some uh, Doctor Caligari was in it, which was kind of neat. Um, Unshen Andalu the show or the movie that he showed at the beginning of the Isolar tour they they didn't show the razor going through the eye but uh he showed it go like the guy going up to the woman and starting to do it i thought it was going oh yeah show oh, it yeah. But, they,
1: but they didn't there was a point too where they show bowie about to cut his mask off in the the man who fell to earth see right and that fit in so brilliantly with what he was trying when did that get shown again i can't remember but I remember thinking at the, the time, I made a mental note, it was like, oh, they're not. he's not talking about the man who fell to Earth, but he's taking footage from the man who fell to Earth and fitting it into... Bowie's life. Yeah, and it was kind of, yeah. it was representing something where Bowie was, was taking a mask off or something. Well,
0: it, like that. It, was it before Berlin where he kind of stopped projecting an image other than himself? Maybe that's yeah. what it
1: was. And I think that was kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier where a lot of Bowie's work, it is referring to other parts of his life that yeah. are, he wasn't talking about this wasn't a thing about the man who fell to earth it was using footage of the man who fell to earth to portray something else they he also used the elephant man uh when bowie my favorite clip i posted it to our twitter account not too long ago where bowie says so well that was a great clip too but the other clip that he showed where he's going uh sometimes i think my head is so big because you know in the elephant man he had you know the, his head was was very large and yeah Bowie is saying in that, as his character there, sometimes I think my head is so big because it's so full of dreams. And that had tapped... They weren't talking about the Elephant Man or trying to show you, hey, check it out, here's the Elephant Man. That was being used to explain something else in the movie. And there are just so many examples of that throughout the movie where it's just taking one part of David's life and seamlessly fitting it into another part and then fitting that sequentially into something else. It's just a, it's really a masterpiece of just mixing and matching all these different masks and flavors and eras of Bowie and just putting them onto the screen and and telling a story without there ever really necessarily being a story. Yeah. It's just showing you how this is all connected.
0: Yeah, I liked how it wasn't necessarily, I I mean, there was chronology to it. Yeah. But being able to pull from everywhere you you can only do that if what you said is true. So it, you're you're bang on. You can't do that with with much. Like there are, I can't think of anybody else that you can do that with because it, we've talked about this before. It it just seems like Bowie's work is all like like you said. It's not moving from one thing to the next. It's it is, but it's 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 hard. It to exists, explain. and
1: it's he created his own it, little universe. It's a universe. You're right.
0: Yeah. It's the yeah the Bowie. Uh, mixed media matic universe is the best way to put it. Because it is like a big it feels like a big puzzle and it almost feels like that's the way that Bowie intended it to be. And Brett Morgan just kind of like is the middleman for for us trying to figure out the puzzle in, in you know, for what he covered in this anyway. And I, I can't wait to watch this again. I think oh, it's yeah. gonna it's gonna reward that because it's like there's so much to see and there's so much to unpack. And what I find really awesome about it is people like you and me are supposed to be picking apart these types of movies. <laughs> we're usually, oh, yeah. I mean, not really, but like, there's so many times where I leave going like, Oh man, like I wish they would have showed this song or, but I get that they had to show it. It's like, you know what? Like he did a great job of giving us some of the deep cuts, but also,
1: Oh, a great song selection. The song sure. selection was
0: great. But I think like what I, what I really mean is, uh, it, it's for everybody. It's for it's for us who are like Bowie maniacs. And it's also for somebody who's gonna be introduced to Bowie for the first time. Because how can you watch that and not go holy shit? I need to see more Bowie. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I I think
1: we we'll appreciate it maybe more because of the back knowledge that we have and the back knowledge that most diehards and most just fans in general have. But there's also that you watch this and you're I mean I'm left you're
0: you're sucked in you're
1: you're inspired. I mean at least I was I I I left feeling inspired. There's parts of it where the things that he's talking about I'm just like i just i don't know what he's on the cusp of when he's but it's something big you know what i mean yeah. it's something big it's like he's almost trying to give us the meaning of life almost he's really just making sense of life uh
0: i would love i would love to talk to someone who doesn't know Bowie and he see their reaction to this and like you know did this get you wanting more did this get you like wh- where where do you start where do you go from here like that that's interesting also just on the Where do we go
1: from here? Yeah. Looking for satellites. Yeah, there you go. Uh,
0: on that note of being inspired, I loved how he showed this interview, or I can't remember what exactly it was, but it listed off what Bowie had done at 33 years of age. It was like X amount of studio albums, he, all these movies. Uh, he's also the only rock star to star on Broadway, and I'm 33 years old and kind of sitting there going, Oh, I mean, I love where I'm at in life, but I mean, Bowie's resume is pretty impressive. But I later on, he shows Bowie talking about a rebirth when he's that you can only have once you've aged to a certain point, once you've experienced life to a certain degree. And I really, really found that inspiring. It was like, yeah, like because, you know, when I was in my 20s, I was into things that I'm not into in my thirties and Bowie kind of said the same thing. He's the, like, you know, said I he,
1: did, I did everything I've wanted to and I hope I can do that all over again he, sometime. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm going
0: to wait for my creative, uh, rebirth <laughs> when, when I, you know, hit my forties or fifties or whatever. It also kind of got me thinking about how, so Bowie in his thirties in his, I mean, mid to late thirties was his, arguably least productive decade, right? Uh, the, we're talking about the 80s um, from a creative standpoint. And you know, a lot of artists struggled in the 80s that were once huge in their you know in the 70s and 60s when they were younger. You know, I wonder if age and not necessarily like being in that decade of your age has more to do with it than just everyone blames the 80s. You know, it's all oh, it's gated drums is the reason why everything sucked back. There's, maybe like once you give so much or once you pull and draw from so much experience that you had, you know, coming of age and, and growing up and being a young adult, uh, maybe that's just a more, I don't know, creative time to, to pull from. I, I, I'd love to look deeper into artists in their 30s or in their you know even early 40s or something i've got some homework to do kind of it's a very interesting thing i wonder if there's correlation to that and it's not just oh blame the 80s maybe
1: well i do think a lot of it is just that people get sick of you because they have this idealized version of what you should be right? and, what you sh- and what you should do next and, and like yeah Artists when they're in their thirties, forties, fifties, they're not this. You know, they start losing their hair. Or they maybe start getting a little bit more overweight or something, and people just start to think like, oh, they're past their artistic prime because they're not in the the prime of their lives. You know, your twenties are the prime of your lives. You know, you never look better than when you're in your twenties, and I think people want to associate the music in that same way. This is a, a a huge reason why I love doing a show like this is that we're you know, going into David Bowie and we're going into everything, yeah. you know, we're going into the the period that people don't like. And I, I feel like people should do that for artists more often. I, I really do think that even in those, those quote unquote, not good periods, I think that a lot of why those periods are considered not good. I think are for maybe more superficial reasons. Like I don't really care about what a person looks like, you know, as long as they're making music yeah, yeah, that I like, totally. but I do think that is a big reason as to why I, I think it's, there, there's that connection with the fans, maybe that it, it Maybe there is something into it where in your 30s, you, you, you fade out, but I, I, or you flame out. But I do think a lot of it is just people. Just they, They're kind of like the Toy Story meme, right? Like, I'm done playing with you now. Right, I think yeah. a lot of it, the majority of it, maybe pertains it, to that. Or, or how, I mean, maybe at the time,
0: it does. If you're looking back at it, there, there is no recency. Like, there's no, there, like, you know, the, the chronology is all old. So we, we aren't thinking, oh, what should Bowie do next? But if you were to, it depends how you go about it,
1: I suppose. Yeah. There was a, I mean, when we were watching this, I didn't really know when it was going to end. They didn't really show anything after the nineties right now. I feel like I can already hear people getting upset about that. Like where's reality? Where's ours? Where's tin machine? That's where's a this? slippery where's, slope. Where's, where's 1966? you know whatever the things that might have been missing but one thing I would encourage people to to consider is did you actually leave the theater feeling unfulfilled or are you just upset on like principle that you didn't see everything because I didn't leave the theater feeling unfulfilled even though there were parts that were maybe glossed over did it actually make you feel like this movie was unfulfilling and wasn't as good as it could have been I I did not walk away thinking that whatsoever not at all Uh, Bowie
0: is about um filling your cup filling multiple cups little like little by little at a time this was a very big cup that i left totally filled to the brim mm-hmm. but with bowie you have to fill several of those if you want to leave totally if you want to cover every base of bowie you, you got to like devote your life to you're to gonna do
1: what we're doing it's just, you know you, you
0: got to listen to everything you got to watch everything because you got to see everything there's just so much that you can't fit that into even like what the Beatles did with the anthology films in the nineties, the, you know, there was eight parts and that doesn't even scratch the surface for them. Bowie. It's even like you would need, you'd basically need to just do it all. And I and, think furthermore, yeah. this isn't
1: what this movie is trying to do. It's no, not trying no, to give you not. this, here's yeah. this chronological list of events, blah, 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 you know, just, here they all are in a row and we're going to try to tell the complete David Bowie story. No, this was tapping into some kind of otherworldly psyche of his.
0: It felt and- it felt very much like it like to, like uh, the main theme was kind of creativity, where it comes from, how it comes and goes and and where you can draw it from and really like you know, there's a lot of emphasis on Bowie loving life and he he mentions it a lot of the time and he he talks about how in the 80s he was happy. And you know that affected his music. I mean, he's he started making music for out of happiness for happiness, and mm-hmm. it was just interesting. Yeah, I I you know it's 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 really hard to. I don't think this movie was about one overall theme. I think there's several things that are kind of tied into it. But oh, I I I gotta see it again. I I gotta see it again, and you know really try to unpack it more because there's there's so much to unpack. I kind of want to go. Watch it again. Let's
1: go back. Yeah, <laughs> there's another show. No, we could hours. have just stayed in the theater yeah. instead of leaving. Just stay, you in, stay the in the theater and watch it again. How are uh, you with IMAX? Like, are you impressed by the IMAX? I, you know what, I've gone to movies that are IMAX, I've gone to movies that aren't IMAX. I can never really tell. remember which ones I can't really tell. Hit. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean. I don't I've, go I haven't gone to a movie. I, this is the first movie I'd been to since pre-COVID. I hadn't been to the movie wow. theater yeah, that's cool. since I I don't remember the last movie I'd been to. But yeah, I, I don't really uh know the di- like is is there a sound difference cuz the sound was, was hitting me huh? to, I was just going want to ask okay. if
0: you knew if there's a sound difference or Cause, not. Cuz cuz the sa- yeah. it was very
1: the, the, the it was very loud. It, it and was I loved done. that. Yeah. It was, everything was hitting me. I could feel it. I liked that. I,
0: it wasn't lacking in the audio or or uh or video. That's for sure. I just wonder what it was like. Because I don't think every, like, does everywhere have an IMAX? Like, I'm I'm just wondering, this is something you have to see in IMAX. I mean, it was compiled for it. So. It said
1: that at the end of the film. yeah. Right, yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess you go see it in IMAX. And That's I was going to say I can't tell the difference, but I feel like that sound was probably part of it. Yeah, maybe. There's some very punchy bass there. I think it was during Rock and Roll Suicide when the kick drum's hitting. It's like, boom! And you, you feel it. And that's this whole, the, during this entire movie, I was feeling everything. I was getting shivers. I was getting sound waves hitting me in my chest. I was getting emotion. Like, you know, there was, yeah. it, it, it's a movie that's just going to bring feelings out of you. And it for that, I think it really succeeds in what it was trying to do. The, I, like I was gonna say maybe there could have been more emphasis on like the humorous side of David Bowie, but once again, it's just this is. I don't think there were any particular moments in the movie where it was inviting humor. You know, I think that this movie was trying to capture a certain feeling and to portray a certain idea of David Bowie's work and the universe and the psyche he's created. I think in the in the the universe that this world exists and what it was trying to portray, I think it did exactly what it was trying to do. Yeah. It, and it, you know, like I said, it just it made me feel all these sort
0: of different there, ways. The, there wasn't narrative driven down our throats in any, like at, at all, which was nice. So, sometimes you go to a, a a picture like this and
1: you. It's just you're, David Bowie talking. It's just cli- it's just com- yeah. compilations of David. I mean, I suppose you can steer. Narrative certain ways by doing that but it, it really wasn't doing that right Yeah. and
0: it was just well done it was really well done um uh, yeah go see it <laughs> go see it uh it's i'm not sure how long it, it's playing um i would recommend seeing it in theaters because you know the the, the part that i mean i, I didn't cry but I, I got kind of emotional was actually a part that you probably shouldn't but I, it was the beginning after when Wild-Eyed Boy from Free Cloud at the Hammersmith Odeon goes into all the young dudes, it felt like I was there.
1: It was, you know, like... Well, and that's the other part that I wanted to talk about too. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's that, Kate a lot of this is familiar footage yeah but this isn't just a repackaging recycling of oh okay here's all this old footage you've seen it before you don't need to watch this no this movie does something with the existing footage it spins it in this way that makes you feel emotional yeah right it, it's a it's a presentation the presentation of all the pre-existing clips are amazing yeah so it's like yeah you've seen a lot of these clips before maybe you've maybe you probably haven't seen them all i think there was some new stuff well
0: right? speaking of nuggets I'll, I'll let you finish your point we'll get back to that but,
1: well yeah. no i mean i'm pretty much wrapping up but yeah. you, you know what i mean like th- this is if you see a clip don't just think oh yeah i've seen that before whatever hammersmith odin what's i wasted my money no like this is definitely a phenomenal and kaleidoscopic and immersive just presentation of clips and it's just it's done so well it, it really is so Go on. That's all I had to well, say. Well,
0: the, the nugget that I forgot to mention when I started talking about them at the beginning, the conversation just went the other way, but it was, we see Jeff Beck. We see Love Me Do. Oh, yeah. It, the Hammersmith Odeon. That's the, that was a first. That was yep. really awesome. And and that's for, you know, that's for the super fans. That That's for the people who listen to our podcast, you know? And that was
1: we mentioned that before, I think, when we were doing the we, Ziggy tour. Yeah, I wish and, we could have seen and that. And what was wrong with
0: Beck's outfit? Yeah, apparently that was why he didn't want to be seen. He didn't like his... He looked okay. I don't
1: know. <laughs> I guess he was only on the screen for a while. I kind of don't remember what he was wearing, but yeah, it was a, yeah, that was a great part of the movie. That was cool. Um, oh,
0: yeah. See, see it in theaters if you can, because it was... We'll put this out like i'll hit save and i'll upload it instantly because i'm not sure how long it's playing but yeah that was uh well worth the the price of imax admission oh, uh, moss admission.
1: garden was worth the price admission. of admission for me if they use moss garden I'm in the movie um yeah
0: that's right that was during and then the crystal japan footage. they played the crystal ja- yeah. which
1: you know what that was a part of the movie too where i was like oh the you know this like the crystal japan foot because like there were so many like a clip would play for three seconds and it's another clip and another clip and it, and it all worked for the atmosphere and the song that was playing right mm-hmm. and i remember when moss garden came on i was like oh they're probably gonna show a little bit of the crystal japan footage here and it, sure enough it appeared like right after i had thought that it appeared yeah. uh the the mixing and or not the mixing the matching of the visuals and the audio is just spot on. Yeah. I mean, every choice. The word, I can't...
0: the word on a wing one was good. Oh, with
1: uh, Iman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like everything was just, anytime there was a song playing, it fit the theme of the interview that was playing over it. And it fit the theme of the video that you were seeing over it. It's like everything existed perfectly. I think that's speaks about David Bowie's, universe being kind of tied together the fact that all these things were the fact that it was possible and you know you'd mentioned earlier that this is so unique to david bowie this movie i haven't seen montage of heck i've seen crossfire hurricane that's another morgan movie he did crossfire hurricane rolling stones it's nothing like this Bowie movie. I have to imagine that this is nothing like the Kurt Cobain movie because I mean, this can only be a David Bowie. Right. Movie. This yeah. style can only be done yeah. with David Bowie. Yeah, I think I
0: mentioned some similarities, but that was basically just the, the art of it and not necessarily mm-hmm. like the content is totally well, aside from it being about a totally different person, it's presented in a different way, but maybe just, I, I liked the, the visuals that we got on top of the footage in montage of heck. Um, in a similar way that i liked it in this but but this the this was better like i i think uh i mean i like i like kurt cobain i like nirvana quite a bit but this was uh i mean it's it's bowie (laughs) christ like
1: well and like kurt cobain has like a very brief period of music to pull from you can't be showing like here's kurt cobain's song from 1993 and here's an interview of him from 89 and here's Uh, You know, all these visuals of him from... Like, that just wouldn't really work for him. It can only work for David Bowie. Right, yeah. Because of the type of artist David Bowie was. And I think anybody who's listening is obviously a big Bowie fan. You're listening to two guys in my basement talking about David Bowie, right? Like, (laughs) you're you're into David Bowie, so... And I feel like if you're listening to this episode, you've probably seen it, because I wouldn't really recommend listening to a podcast of a movie before seeing the movie. So I'm assuming that anyone that's listening has seen it. I'll put a
0: spoiler alert in the show notes, I guess.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I feel like that's fair enough, right? Like, yeah. Wa- watching reviews or listening to reviews or whatever of something like you, it's pretty tough to avoid spoilers. But yeah, uh, spoiler alert. Go see the movie. It's great. I I loved it. Um, I haven't checked its score on Rotten Tomatoes or <sighs> oh, Metacritic or anything, oh but <laughs> I hate those. But uh, yeah, I I think this was uh this was a phenomenal phenomenal movie i could probably
0: i could probably speak on both of our behalves when i say i've never enjoyed rock rock and roll with me so much rock and roll with (laughs) me had a a long segment and we got it we talked about that's not our favorite on diamond dogs to put it nicely i I thought it was it actually was done well though it made sense with what was happening in the at that era yeah just you had talked about that The, the the uh the the art and the 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 dreamscapes not that wasn't dream that was nightmare scapes uh when that was happening that was one of the highlights and also when um the rebirth when space boy came on and it was all that was that talk about bass hitting your chest that was great that explosion of rebirth and you know when
1: i kind of knew right off the start that we were going to be getting some a good wide range of Bowie songs. I believe that's like one of the first songs we hear, right? It's yeah it, it, yeah, it comes uh, back.
0: Yeah, it comes.
1: Yeah, it's again, at the but... top of the film, and, and then again near the end. And there's some great like remixing of songs. I'm guessing they're on the soundtrack. it's yeah. like Wild Eyed or not Wild Eye Boy from Free, Free Cloud, a uh, Memory of a Free Memory, Festival yeah. at the end. Yeah, with like the was... train going. It was like an industrial almost yeah. version of it there, and then you know it, it. They use it near the end of the movie and it gets like this, you know, you see the, the crowds that was kind of, shivers. that, that was a great song choice. Yeah. Um, like, and just, there's so many instances of a song just being so representative of its placement in the movie, you know, like, you know, like the that, that technically he's supposed to be playing nineties stuff for that, but he was playing a song from 1969 because it just fits so well. Well, and that was an album closer and
0: it was the, the film closer too. And there's nothing, and this is maybe the most true thing to Bowie's um, mo or whatever, is ending something with a and we're gonna have a party. In other words, mm-hmm. this is just the beginning, even though it's the end. I I that that is that is Bowie in a nutshell.
1: What was the song that they tapped or tacked? Ain't it just like me to the end of from Lazarus? There was a song playing, and then. It, oh yeah and then it was ain't um, it just like me and then it stopped uh, i can't remember what that was now but that was amazing too and and once again just going to show how you can connect all his ideas sure bowie changed you know he's a chameleon ch ch cha changes yeah he changed <laughs> but like you can tack on lazarus a line from lazarus like they took like the acapella version of it or something and tacked it to the end of a segment of another song and it worked for the part Of the movie, it worked for the, the song. song that was playing. Yeah. Uh, what the hell was that? I can't remember. It's <laughs> gonna drive so me nuts, but great footage that we haven't seen
0: before from the Isler 2 tour, like '78. Mm-hmm. That was really awesome. There was one, uh, the heroes segment where it shows the band walking out, it shows Bowie on stage at angles we hadn't seen. Uh, that was good also oh what song was it? it was a slower one during ziggy was it free Cl- it was free cloud at the beginning it showed the crowd like reactions during it and oh it's yeah a, it's a slow soft part like song and just like the the looks on the faces in the crowd like they were just like hysterics in hysterics and i loved seeing that while this Performance of a soft, beautiful song is on.
1: It's a very good contrast. That
0: was maybe the best. I I loved the focus of that, and that happened right after we. That was the beginning. That happened right after we saw the the planetary dreamscapes at the beginning. I call them dreamscapes. I don't know. I I like Lynch too much.
1: I should maybe take back something I said earlier, where there is not any humor. Well, there was there wasn't a lot of humor, but there was a little bit shortly after that. They're showing that talk show host interviewing Bowie and he's asking him all these questions what's with your the way you dress what's with this bisexual thing what's with these shoes are those bisexual shoes he goes no they're they're shoe shoes they're shoe shoes Oh, (laughs) that's one of my favorite answers to an interviewer ever but that that was a great part of the movie where it did invite because that's kind of when they're talking about the hysterics they're showing the fans and they're all going crazy for Bowie they're wearing the makeup they're wearing the the costumes and it kind of is showing the appeal of Bowie to the the, the youth and I mean just any at that time right yeah showing how important bowie was for them and you know the the hysterics in the crowd the way that the fans you know just show random clips of fans on the streets crying because they hadn't met him and they wanted to and people just cheering and the the you know the interviewer not quite getting him, mean, he kind of looked like your classic suit and tie well, on, traditional guy on, and he was like well
0: what's with this on that subject i love the the emphasis
1: on these types of interviews throughout the, the film. Um, it shows how big of a moment this was in time, how big of a moment that was. It captured that very
0: well. Um, I think in the mid seventies, a lot of interviewers went into interviewing Bowie thinking, Oh, like I'm, I'm going to ridicule this guy. Um, and, Bowie met it with, like, like, they didn't expect Bowie. You know, they, they expected something like these suit and tie types. He's went smarter into these, than them. Right. And they went into this thinking they were smarter than him. And he just kind of hands them their ass each time. Yeah. There's the one where he's being, uh, well, yeah, the one where he says, no, no, they're shoe shoes. The Dick Cavett one is, you know, Dick's scared of him. Like, he flinches a few times and Bowie, like, you know, <laughs> like sniffles or something. And then. The other one where he's being kind of, he's not in the room. He's being, he's got something in his ear and he's listening.
1: 70s or late 75 going into station to station. Right. Yeah. 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 I've seen that. And and they're
0: talking about, you know, things like, uh, just, I can't remember the specifics, but he's just kind of like, he's not having any part of, like he's
1: making them look stupid by answering them with like these, "Uh
0: you're asking me this, like, are you normally bought? Like, is that your normal hair color? Like, no, he says a lot by
1: not saying a lot. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, they're, they're not treating him with, with respect. It's, you know, and it's very, unfortunately uh, a microcosm of how a lot of people are, are treated by interviewers, you know, like the types of questions they they ask women on TV shows or on any, or, or wherever it's like, you know, why, why are you asking me what I'm wearing? Why are you asking me what color my hair is? Don't you have something intelligent to ask me? Mm -hmm. It's uh, you know, he was getting that same treatment. I love how he, you know, turned it against that made them look like the idiots. Yeah. Just great film. Go see it. I think that's all from us.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'll think of something once we stop recording, but we'll, oh, you know, yeah. that that'll be happening all day. <laughs> so I mean, we got to wrap this up at some point, but yes, definitely go see it. If you haven't, I'm assuming if you're listening, you have, but uh, Brett Morgan tweeted at us saying, have fun, enjoy the ride. So, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I would love to, once we watch this again, maybe have him on and we'll do another, Sort of more, not as off the cuff, kind of just a you know a, like how we do our album, yeah episodes. I, I'd love to have them on. So if you're listening, please, <laughs> please uh, slide into the DMs. You're you're more. I mean anybody's more than welcome on the show, but uh, especially Mister Morgan for this phenomenal, phenomenal movie. Yeah. I loved every second of it. It wasn't a, a wasted moment. Two four thumbs up over here. We give,
0: we give Let's Dance two thumbs up between us. One each. One now each. We've got. Now we've got four thumbs up. That's how we should rate things. I know we don't like to put scores on things, but we've done it the last two episodes. But All right. I hope you enjoyed this uh, bonus episode of Fantastic Voyage. Thank you for listening.
1: I'm Jesse. I'm John. Signing out.